Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris and this is our recap show yes we go game by game with the blurbers who covered those contests for the site rotoworld.com to give you the details that you might have missed if you did not watch the contest and to spend these fancy performances moving forward uh, thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed to the show recently rated and reviewed the show really does help us out. If you're new, just want to outline our week. We have a Tuesday morning waiver pod with John Daigle. It does not exceed 20 minutes, so it's all the important info that you need to improve your team. Then we're back Wednesday evening with Denny and Pat, and then Thursday evening slash Friday morning, a game-by-game preview show. It was a fascinating week six, some big comebacks, some near comebacks, some impressive performances from players that we hadn't heard of in quite some time. So let's get into it right now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Tennessee Titans improved to 5-0 on the season, beating the Houston Texans 42-36 to on Sunday. Patrick Darty, you and I chatted, along with Daigle, along with Hayden, 
on the preview podcast. One of my locks of the week was a three and a half point cover by the Tennessee Titans. Never in doubt. Never in doubt in this game, despite the Titans needing to win in overtime and despite winning 21 to 10 at one point in this contest. Tell us about this crazy up and down contest, Pat. Well, yeah, at one point, I think they considered it the lock of the week, too, because they were up 21 to 7 and they had bet on themselves that like, we've already covered four times over. It's time yeah. to start chilling. Uh, but we discovered the new market inefficiency, by the way, for a football team. Get yourself a coronavirus outbreak and you just win two two games in six days uh, like nothing ever happened. Uh, no, I mean, this was a crazy game. T- Ryan Tannehill's fifth most yards of his career, I believe, probably his most as a Titan. I actually didn't double check that, but fifth most of his career. The first time in Titans history, they had over 600 yards of offense. Wow. Ryan Tannehill had 364 yards while Derrick Henry rushed for over 200 yards. I mean, just an absolute – they just overawed the Texans. And it's weird because Ryan Tannehill had a fairly bad interception. Uh, he lost a fumble inside his own 20-yard line. Deshaun Watson had a turnover-free day, four-touchdown day, completed almost 70% of his passes, and they still lose. Um, the Titans, I mean, I know, sometimes we talk about the podcast, we can't quite figure out you know, how the Titans, because it seems like a low margin for error style of play, um, we, like how they do this every week. And you know, today, Jonu Smith plays like barely a quarter, and then Ryan Tannehill, just, uh, he makes up for it by finding Anthony Ferkser. Eight times for 113 yards and a That's touchdown. That's incredible. Getting furky with it. Uh, you know, Corey Davis not <laughs> playing. <laughs> Adam Humphreys was back. But, I mean, there. so a lot of the credit must go to Ryan Tannehill. A lot of it must go to Arthur Smith, who we, like, never talk about. But, I mean, this offense is so uh, it's so balanced. It's called so well. Yeah. The weapons have been in and out all year, but they're undefeated. It's just insane. Pat, I, I think it's very impressive. And I know it's against – the Texans defense, which might be the worst in the NFL other than the New York Jets, um, <laughs> but that the, the Titans can win in multiple ways. I mean, 41 attempts from Ryan Tannehill is not what Arthur Smith wants to happen heading into a football game. But even with that happening, Derrick Henry in this second half was just an absolute monster. A 94-yard touchdown run, part of 22 carries, 212 yards, and two scores, and he had some of his most efficient and effective use in the passing game as well, Pat, something we've all been asking for. Five targets, two receptions, and 52 yards. Yeah, so first off, Ryan Tannehill, like you said, they want to limit him to like 25 attempts per week, but right. he was perfectly comfortable in shootout ball. Didn't look at all like a quarterback who was uncomfortable matching blows with someone like Deshaun Watson. And for Derrick Henry, so over 250 total yards, I believe it was in the 260s. Uh, Frustrating, as you mentioned, the increased, uh, like slightly increased involvement in the past game. He had a 52-yard catch in overtime on a screen, but it could have been way bigger. There were literally two or three different screens where they were just inches away from hooking up for a big play, and the timing was just off ever so slightly. And it's really frustrating because I think I've said multiple times, but I don't understand why they don't make run that play like five times a game. Yeah, And the fact that they didn't hit it two or three times Sunday – I'm worried, you know, that it will be taken out of the game plan again, but they absolutely need to run that like five times every game. And this Derrick Henry touchdown, man, like he made a subtle cut behind the line of scrimmage, and then he cut, he reversed fields, cut back fields at the second level of the defense, and then poor Tyrell Adams, number 50, number 50, the linebacker on the Texans, uh, he just left Tyrell Adams' like soul like in the yeah. dust as he ran away from the whole defense. As a guy 
who on YouTube has run a five four three forty. I can recognize other five four three forties, and it's just fascinating that a Texans linebacker can run a five four three forty. And we didn't even mention AJ Brown so far. Seven targets, five receptions, fifty six yards, and two incredible touchdowns, including the game tying one, which sent this one into overtime. I mean, a guy who, again, we talked about the COVID outbreak. We talked about practices being missed, um, injuries. He has just picked up right where he left off, and it is absolutely certain he's a top 10 wide receiver, if not top five receiver in the NFL for what he's doing right now. I'll just say almost slightly, he played the great individual plays, especially on the touchdowns, but you know, almost disappointing in a game where they attempt 41 passes that A.J. Brown only gets seven targets. So hope it felt like they were being proactive, getting him the ball early in the game, and hopefully that just remains a theme because, I mean, they've got to do everything. they possibly, Three touchdowns. In uh, six days, you know, since not playing since week one. Yeah, I mean, he he's back. He's established. He's a special player. Deshaun Watson on the other side, 28 of 37, 335. Those four touchdowns that you mentioned add another 26 yards on the ground. Um, Tim Kelly has been calling plays all year, but now under Romeo Cornell, they seemed a bit more aggressive than they had been earlier in the season. I mean, he Deshaun has always wanted to be a big time playmaker. We've also called for, you know, easier completions as well. But on some level, especially almost in a come from behind victory, the Texans must have looked impressive offensively and against the Titans defense that has some pass rushers and has some players on it. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, he seriously played almost a perfect game. He didn't run himself into pressure. He didn't turn the ball over. He just matched blow for blow. I mean, he found all each of his top three receivers for a touchdown. He found his number one tight end for a touchdown. Uh, he was hitting the big open play. Like, Will Fuller just didn't get covered on his 53-yard touchdown, and Deshaun Watson immediately found it. He immediately diagnosed it. Uh, one of his best throw of the day was maybe his four-yard touchdown to Randall Cobb. He was under mm. pressure. He broke the pocket, rolled out, found Randall Cobb sprinting back to the front of the end zone, trying to get open for Deshaun, and he identified it. And it's kind of like, yeah, what more does this guy need to do to get a win? Because, you know, against early season, against the Chiefs, against the Ravens, this – the whole thing looked out of sync. Deshaun sometimes it seemed like it was almost like running himself into pressure, you know, behind kind of a shaky offensive line. But uh, he's been fully weaponized like the past month. Like he's back in sync. He's back to playing at an absolutely elite level. And nothing about this Texans loss today uh, had anything whatsoever to do with Deshaun Watson, who was, was truly almost perfect. Yeah, you mentioned it. We had another breakout Will Fuller game, 11 targets, six receptions, 123 yards and a score. Even Darren Fells, six receptions, 85 yards, a score. Brennan Cooks is an important part of this offense now. Nine receptions, 68 yards, and a score. And David Johnson exists. 19 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown himself. He sort of exists. He got a touchdown. It was honestly kind of a sad game for David Johnson. Of course. He got the touchdown, but he was getting hit like right at the point of attack. Constantly. He had four other touches inside the Titans' five-yard line and did not come away with a second touchdown. And this didn't look like a guy with a second gear today. And that, that was kind of painful to watch. But yeah, Brandon Cooks now 17 catches uh, over his past two games. So Ooh. it's kind of like, yeah, Tim Kelly, like to make the most dated movie reference ever. I think I saw Ian Harditz make on Twitter that like, kind of like Happy has learned how to putt. Now, like they figured out how to involve their number two receiver in Brandon Cooks. And hopefully is like actually settled in now as like a legit top 36 uh, guy on a weekly basis. Speaking of existing, the Jacksonville Jaguars are one of 32 NFL franchises, but they lose at home to the Detroit Lions 34 to 16. Quite a feat to make the look 
make the Lions look like they're one of the NFL's powerhouses on the offensive side of the football. But Matthew Stafford, 19 of 31, 223, one touchdown, one interception. But Pat, the story of the day, DeAndre Swift, second round rookie, 14 carries, 116 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, uh, along with four, excuse me, four targets, three receptions and seven yards. Finally, we have seen the DeAndre Swift breakout performance of the year. Yeah, and this was like truly the kind of commitment we, w- we wanted to see because it wasn't just the first half. It wasn't just the second half. They were getting him involved early in the game, late in the game. His first touchdown came after he was stymied twice on goal line carries, hmm. and they still gave him a third. They stuck with it. They got him the touchdown. Uh, he, his biggest play was a 54-yard run uh, when he basically was not touched, like through a big hole in the right side of the Lions line. But, you know, that's good. Uh, he diagnosed the open hole. He found the rushing lane and cashed in a big run. And yeah, still remaining involved in the passing game. Actually almost you know, fewer targets than he had been seeing. That was because the Lions just ran 39 times. They just ran over the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I guess if you're looking for like a touch of gray, it was just that the Lions clearly diagnosed. Uh, you know, Miles Jack left this game hurt. Lots of injuries for the Jaguars that they're just going to run over the Jaguars and they succeeded. But yeah, this wasn't like, you know, in the second half, them experimenting or on the first half, getting him some touches and then going away from him. Like this was a full game commitment and really what we needed to see to finally trust DeAndre Swift as a flex option. So were Adrian Pearson's 15 carries more so in the second half when this game was somewhat at hand? No, it was kind of like a true rotation. Like I think Adrian Peterson's touchdown was in the first half. I could be mistaken there, but it was like a true rotation. I mean, the good news is that it's no longer a three-man rotation. Carrion Johnson is basically phased all the way out. I believe he had five touches, but he's had five or fewer touches now in three straight games. So this is no longer a Ram situation. We can call it still a committee. We can call it a two-man committee. And yeah, we've seen demonstrated upside now on all three downs from DeAndre Swift, which he's going to be a top 24 option uh, for week seven because they're playing the Atlanta Falcons. Some weeks might be more comfortable saying top 30, but he he will be an RB2 in week seven against the Falcons. Well, if there was a touch of gray on this line's offense, I would say for Kenny Galladay playing the Jaguars was his just for men. Does that make sense, Pat? It made sense in my head when I was thinking through it. It actually didn't make sense to me, but, you know, we're just going to roll with it. Uh, I'm the only one who gets allowed to start over the podcast. Well, not twice in the past five days. I've botched my opening uh, sentence to a podcast. Six targets, four receptions, 105 yards. I'm not so sure that anything needs to be said there other than Kenny Galladay. When the Lions win, he's most likely a major part of it. Uh, On the Jaguar side, Pat, this kind of from afar, and you watched from start to finish – Look like one of those games where it's questionable if Gardner Minshew is like an NFL quarterback yes. and starting quarterback. I should qualify that 25 of 44, 243, one touchdown and one interception to go along with 14 rushing yards and a score on the ground. Real quick, throwing it back to the Lions, we're on Marvin Jones washed watch, by the way. Oh, yeah. 10 yards and back to back games, just 10 total targets in three games since Kenny Galladay came back. Gardner Minshew, yeah, I mean, there were some throws today that NFL quarterbacks just have to make, and he didn't make it. He had DJ Shark, who could only generate 45 yards on 45 targets, on on 14 targets, only 45 yards for DJ Shark. Very inefficient, very bad, but he was wide open for a 50-plus yard gain um, from Gardner Minshew, who just underthrew the ball. And that was not even his worst throw of the day. That was his interception that I made the quip on Twitter. You know, we always love to reuse the jokes. 
it was seriously like a dove hunter had just like shot a bird out of the air and the, the ball is like fluttering helplessly to the ground. One of the, like the most lifeless deep ball interceptions I've seen in a long time. And yeah, for, you know, to do nothing against this alliance, I, mean, I guess springing Keelan Cole for 143 yards is an accomplishment, but and like Jeffrey Okuda, that wasn't playing super well. This should have been a much bigger game. Yeah. Garden Minshew. Yeah. He, he had his receiver core healthy. He had DJ Shark back. He had LaVisca Chenault coming off two big games in a row. And, yeah, he looked like what he was today, which was a, a good bridge quarterback, but did not look like someone who should be starting in 2021. I saw a lot of Visca season tweets on early Sunday morning, and, Pat, that resulted in four touches for 11 yards. What yes. happened? Yes. I, honestly, it was kind of hard to, like, stay in the flow of the Jaguars, Pat. It was just kind of one of those games where, like, I guess the – you just like look up and all of a sudden the Jaguars, it's like third and eight and like, ah, whatever. They just had to, it was very hard to stay in the flow of whatever it was the Jaguars were doing. Uh, Cause you know, no running game either. I guess the line, the Lions run defense kind of buckled down, but you know, James, James Robinson did nothing on the ground against the Lions and yeah, whatever, the, Keelan Cole got free for some big gains. And then Gardner Minshew just could not get on the same page with his offensive weapon, Elvisco Chenault. And despite Really forcing the issue with DJ Shark. 14 targets again can only generate 45 yards. So just not a good quarterback performance against a bad defense. The Pittsburgh Steelers established themselves as one of the NFL's best once again on Sunday, destroying, demolishing the Cleveland Browns 38-7 to and making his debut even more importantly on this recap pod. It is Chris Allen himself. Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Um, I mean, I, I'm starting to make the rounds on the Roto World podcast airwaves because <laughs> I got a chance to sit down with uh, Daigle and Hayden on uh-huh. Friday. Um, I'm getting a chance to sit down with here to with you today. So, I mean, it, I think it's going really well for me so far. Uh, I, not not so great for the Browns, though. No, no. Let's get into the game. Uh, we need to start off with the positives in the Cleveland Browns. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, 14 of 22. 162 yards and a score. I mean, if you looked at that stat line individually, you would be stunned on how they managed to score 38 points. But then you look at Chase Claypool, 74 yards on four targets. Also, another rushing touchdown. You look at James Conner, 20 carries, 101 yards and a score. Even Benny Snell got into the end zone. How were the Steelers able to put up 38? Yeah, 38 points on this Browns defense, which has looked good in previous weeks. I think it was just the fact that their uh, their defense was able to impose just so much on the Browns offense. I mean, we knew coming into this game that Baker Mayfield was already hurting, like his ribs were injured. I believe it was uh, Aaron Andrews, I think shortly before the game, saying that he needed some sort of pain injection medication before the game uh, and that it kind of hurt for him to throw. So it wasn't setting up to be a good Baker Mayfield game. And we saw exactly that. I mean, Pittsburgh, number one in both blitz and pressure rate. I mean, we saw all of that. Two interceptions within the first half. I mean, one with that pick six with Minka. Like Minka was actually reading. I mean, he was running the route like for Baker Mayfield. And like he took that ball like straight to the house like afterwards. So we saw, we kind of telegraphed this game like coming into it. And there was some hope that Baker Mayfield and the Browns could kind of overcome their situation. But they just couldn't answer the bell. I mean, it mm. just—I I just saw so many misfires on offense uh, from from Baker, where he wasn't able to get on target with his receivers. Odell looked like he was—I mean—upset for quite a bit, understandably so. But it just looked like the entire Browns' offense was just kind of stuck in the sand against the Steelers. Let, let's focus on the Steelers' pass catchers for a moment, because Chase Claypool—we know his week six 
week five was incredible. Mm-hmm. These weeks all run together already for me. Chris. Right. Um, but because of that performance and Deontay Johnson being out, you know, that led to a lot of people starting him in their lineups this week. And, and he hit, like I said, all four of his targets for 74 yards and had that rushing score again on that same kind of jet sweep action near the goal line. Two questions. One, if Deontay stays out, then yes, Chase Claypool was locked into people's lineups, correct? But also, mm-hmm. and this might be unanswerable, what happened when Deontay does come back? Should we still keep relying on Chase Claypool because of this unreal talent that he has shown these last two weeks? I think if uh, if that uh, play in the second or third quarter where he caught just that short uh, short screen pass from Ben Roethlisberger and then drove it, I think it was like maybe 30 or so yards down to, I think it was like either the two or three yard line. If that play didn't happen, Sure. Then I would think that Deontay coming back, he would, I guess, assume that wide receiver one role, or at least that primary look like for Ben Roethlisberger. And we would kind of go back to whatever the split was between the three receivers beforehand. But after that, I mean, it's really hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, after we've seen play after play from Chase Claypool, and I mean, to be quite honest, actually, for the first uh, couple of quarters, I was kind of asking the question, where is Chase Claypool? It was James Mm -hmm. Washington's show, I mean, for, I mean, the better part of the first half. And he had a number of of targets. I think he was the first, uh, uh, first receiver targeted from Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, he had a deep shot like, uh, and also a red zone target as well. And then Claypool took over. And then it was the Chase Claypool show once again with that reverse in order to get him into the end zone. So now with his athleticism being on display, not just it's not just a one-week show. It's now two weeks in a row we've seen this. Yeah. I mean, even if Deontay comes back, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that Chase Claypool just kind of goes back to, I guess, a, a, a minimal receiver uh, in that offense. Where was Juju Smith-Schuster? Now I get to ask that question, right? Because just oh, four man. targets, two catches, six yards. Was this just game scripted out? I mean, it certainly wasn't necessary for this team to throw all over the field today once they established a lead and it was 24 to seven at halftime. I think that's, I mean, I was a Juju Smith-Schuster advocate over like during the off season. Uh, and I drafted him quite heavily, like in some of my redraft teams, which are not doing so great right now because of it. But uh, I do think that uh, if after last week, when we saw Chase Claypool moving into the slot to take over some of those like matchups, especially the one against Nate Jerry uh, last week, who got roasted by Chase Claypool, uh, we saw the same thing happening in this week where they were moving Claypool around the formation to areas where Juju Smith-Schuster should be uh, taking advantage of and leveraging his talents like within the slot or against some of those zone coverages. I mean, with that, with Chase Claypool being, being moved around the offense and the formation so much, I don't know how much we can really rely on Smith-Schuster anymore. Beforehand, it was Deontay Johnson and James Washington playing on the outside, and Juju Smith-Schuster would be in the slot. But now, since we got this X factor in Claypool, and yeah. he can play both inside and out, we can't really count on him in order to have a reliable target share week in and week out. I mean, this is now, I mean, what, the third week in a row? that he is like down at least uh, the wide receiver two, wide receiver three in that offense target shares down air yard share is down. Uh, I mean, he now is basically relegated to wide receiver two, wide yeah. receiver three, possibly in that offense. You know, it's a nice problem to have. We keep talking about it on the show, but when you just look at it from a big picture perspective, Juju is the one who has the shortest contract with these Steelers moving forward. And I mean, just what Chase Claypool can do from all over the field. It just makes total sense. Okay. We've talked about all the positives. Now let's talk about the Browns. I mean, week one was awful. Then they went on four straight wins. And then this was awful again. And I think a lot of it is rooted in the quarterback play. Baker Mayfield, 10 completions on 18 attempts, 
119 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, including that pick six. And was it so bad that Case Keenum got involved? I mean, Case Keenum came in and threw 10 attempts. Was that a, hey, this game is out of our hands. It's so far away from us. We can't get back in. So we'll just put in the backup quarterback. Or do you think it was based on performance and this could be a interesting quarterback situation moving forward? Uh, well, first off, I mean, wasn't this the game that I forget who said it beforehand, but they, uh, the Browns were saying that they were going to win this for miles Garrett and that didn't really work out for them. It did not. Uh, it did not. Uh, but regardless, uh, I, there is some credence to that idea that Baker was pulled because I believe the, um, on-field reporting said that the play towards the end of the third quarter, uh, he was thrown to the ground, his head hit the ground and there was something that kicked up into his eye. He couldn't see straight. Uh, so it's possible that they pulled him out for for injury, but his play prior to, I mean, what four or five sacks, two interceptions. I mean, on field accuracy was just atrocious. Um, it's hard for me to see why they wouldn't wind up pulling him the game, regardless of if it was an injury or not, just because how far gone the game was. I mean, Pittsburgh was up by three scores, like by the end of the, by the end of the first half. I mean, it wasn't getting any better. I mean, it took basically that one last like uh, that one last drive in order where Rashad Higgins actually wound up getting a touchdown in order for them to at least salvage like a some respectability on the scoreboard. But other than that, like Baker Mayfield just cannot be trusted like as a starting quarterback, like not just in the fantasy but i mean if if he's getting yanked for case keenum at this point we can't really rely on him as a starting quarterback in the nfl at all you know it's one of those where the eye test finally lined up with the results here because i think you can probably say the same thing with baker in previous weeks wow it has worked and kevin stefanski has done a great job and we saw jarvis pass to odell and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth baker didn't look comfortable in a lot of those scenarios but he was making also erratic plays or, or plays outside of structure, which is where he lives. But when you run up against a Steelers defense that seemed like they tightened those loose ends that they've shown this year, you get this result. And you also get Odell Beckham, just four targets, two receptions, 25 yards. I mean, Austin Hooper was the leading receiver at 52 yards. Jarvis Landry with 40 yards. I do want to ask about Kareem Hunt because he only, only totaled 40 rushing yards on 13 carries, 17 yards on two receptions. I guess he's not matchup proof with – Nick Chubb out, even though I'm sure he had plenty of great moments in this game as well. Yeah, and I think if you want to salvage anything positive from the Browns' performance, it is that uh, that I mean, Kareem Hunt he wound up did, uh, getting most of the t- uh, most of the touches out of that backfield, and also yeah. a number uh, a few targets, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Mm-hmm. Two three targets lining up as a wide receiver on a few empty sets that they ran. So. I would say from a workload perspective, Kareem Hunt is as advertised, but it's just that with the Browns, uh, with the Browns not really being able to do much on offense, I mean, they only had maybe three or four successful drives in total throughout the entire game. I mean, there's just, it's, it's difficult to, uh, I guess, from a fantasy perspective, being able to rely on somebody like Kareem Hunt without being able to, uh, I guess, really generate some of that production that we need, like on our fantasy rosters. But I will say that on the runs that he did, uh, that he was able to actually cap off at least uh, maybe six, seven, uh, eight yards like per clip on a few of them. I mean, he did. He looked explosive. I mean, any of the concerns that we had about the groin injury from a couple of weeks ago, I didn't see that at all. And so with uh, and one of the things like coming into this game was that while uh, the Steelers uh, were like very blitz happy, I mean, highest pressure rate and so on and so forth. I mean, because they uh, put so much stock in their edge rushers and the linebackers like blitzing the passer. I mean, there I mean, Kareem Hunt was able to rip off quite a few runs like in this game that actually showed like what burst he still has. 
So moving forward, I mean, we can probably expect to see similar output like uh, from Kareem Hunt, a similar workload with better results, I would say. But at least from for Baker Mayfield, I mean, this is now another game where, I mean, the QB2, if not worse, uh, even in the games where, I mean, they've, play, they've played against defenses that are uh, projected to be, I guess, uh, lesser or, I guess, weaker in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of pass rush. Production just hasn't been there. Uh, so at least uh, we, while we want to see more from the pass catchers, I think really the easiest thing we can do is just look at the look to the running backs or look to the running back, which is Kareem Hunt. Maybe Nick Shelley <laughs> if he comes back, uh, but then maybe uh, Odell and Jarvis uh, on uh, in some spot starts. The Atlanta Falcons finally get their first win, beating the Minnesota Vikings. 42-23. Hayden Winks had this game for us. Hayden, one, all it took is to fire Dan Quinn, but also Matt Ryan going 30 of 40 for four touchdowns and 371 yards. I mean, we just talked about it on this show last week that it was like 20 straight drives without a touchdown pass from him. It seemed like he got it going early and often here. I'd say that Julio Jones matters. That's my takeaway from this game. (laughs) He looked fully healthy, and that was just like the missing ingredient. I think it's very obvious. The Falcons need a healthy Julio Jones because Olamide Zacchaeus isn't cutting it. Russell Gage isn't cutting it. When Julio Jones is on the field, even if he's not at full health, he opens things up for for the rest of the guys. Hayden Hurst had his best game with the touchdown, but Julio Jones just looked incredible. He made some plays after the catch. He had a 40-yard bomb or a 40-yard run and catch off a broken play. So it was just, it was good to see this offense click again. Cause this is a, one of the highest ceiling passing offenses in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if they finished like top three, top five in pass attempts. And that means that Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones could stay in as the wide receiver ones in fantasy. Well, good timing. I mean, you can hear the Julio Jones train passing us as we're talking about him. I mean, 10 targets, eight receptions, 137 yards and two touchdowns in his return to the lineup. Do you want to say that Calvin Ridley, seven targets, six receptions, 61 yards, and a score? Hey, even Hayden Hurst finds the end zone four for four, 57 yards, and a score. Um, I mean, it was all in the air, though. 30 combined carries between Todd Gurley and Brian Hill, and just a total of my quick math does a trick of about 75 yards between them. Uh, not good in the ground game. No, not at all. And in, in the first half, we saw some Todd Gurley first and 10 carries the Falcons actually had a, a drive where they ran the ball on third and seven, went forward on fourth down, and then ran the ball later on third and five. So there's still some questionable play calls, but in general, the, the offense opened up, and I think that's because they're playing the Vikings secondary that cannot guard anybody still. that's We're going to be attacking this defense the entire season because they can't pa- rush the passer and they can't cover just because their uh, corners are so young. So this was super encouraging. Next week, the Falcons play the Lions, so I think that you're going to rush – Get Gurley as RB2, Julio yeah. Jones and Calvin Ridley as RB1s. Matt Ryan's back on the quarterback one mix for me, at least. I think that just he wasn't, he didn't have Julio. So I think that was, I think we can kind of throw out the first three, four games for him too. Let's talk about that Viking side. I mean, we talk about garbage time a lot in fantasy football. This was extreme garbage time. All 23 points were scored in the final two quarters, including 16 points in the fourth quarter. I only had this game up when it would pop up on Red Zone Hayden, and the only time it came up in the first half were miserable Kirk Cousins interceptions, but he somehow saved his stat line of going 24 of 36, 343, three touchdowns, three interceptions. If you can, tell us a story of bad Kirk Cousins in the first half, what went wrong, and then I guess what went right in the second half. 
Well, Kirk Cousins is kind of limited as a passer himself. He usually makes some pretty good decisions, but today in the pocket made some absolutely brutal interceptions, just throwing it right to linebackers. And that set up the Vikings into negative game script. Like you said, they were behind by a bunch of points. Basically, immediately that got Alexander Madison out of game script. So I think Alexander Madison was still a fine RB1 play, but this was the absolute disaster just because game script got out of hand. Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah were playing on passing downs late in the game. Uh, I'm not sure if they would have been in if the game was closer, but like you said, the game was not close. And that set up Justin Jefferson. Josh, you're going to have to watch all the highlights of Justin Jefferson. Guy is just so dang good. Down the field, he's making plays, and he's so good like his, with his ball skills. It's kind of like DeAndre Hopkins when it's one-on-one. Uh, he just picks the ball out of the air. So I think that Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, this could be the other. We're talking about Julio Jones and Calvin mm-hmm. Ridley. I think both of these guys can end up being like top 15-ish uh, receivers. I think that the one issue you're going to run into is the Vikings want to run the ball still. So when Dalvin Cook returns, I think you're going to kind of see Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson trade off wide receiver one weeks. But you see the ceiling. Justin Jefferson has an, an elite ceiling just because he's so talented. And Adam Thielen, we've seen it time and time again. He can still score touchdowns. He's also a great contested catch, catch guy. So I think both of these guys are uh, – basically like fantasy superstars if they can keep it up. We hopefully, hopefully the Vikings begin passing the ball more because they can yeah. do it. We just need to see it. I mean, it's kind of insane that they were at least down 30 to seven and still Kirk Cousins only had 36 attempts to finish this game. We've seen Dak have like 45. We've seen other quarterbacks have around 50 and it just seems like, oh, I mean, and one thing that I watched was the scary Kubiak, like fourth and goal play where he tried to run it to the, I mean, I don't know what Gary Kubiak is doing. Like it's, it seems like a major drop off from Kevin Stefanski. Do you want to bring up Justin Jefferson's stat line though? 11 targets, nine receptions, 166 yards and two scores. Just to go back to what you were saying. I mean, three out of the four games or five games, I should say he's crossed 103 yards, including three of the last four, um, three touchdowns in that span as well. I mean, what a, what a player. I do want to bring up a couple more names. Um, Irv Smith, because I know he was on Daigle's waiver list heading into this week. Five targets, four receptions, 55 yards. Any positives that we can take from there? I would say he's playing where I don't have the snap count in front of me, but I would guess that he was on the field for close to a season high. I think that game script definitely aided his box score. But if you're looking at the tight end two landscape, you're looking for guys that can make some plays. I think Irv Smith can make some plays. He's still going to only see three to five, maybe six targets a game. But I think that could be enough where he ends up being like a top 20 tight end. He doesn't have much of a ceiling because we know where the targets are going. We know the Vikings want to run the ball. But, I mean, if you look, if you're trying to do tight end rankings, I mean, I would rank Irv Smith over like a Cameron Brait, maybe even a Gronk too. So I think that he – I mean, I hate saying it, but he's probably a top 20 tight end right now. And I know you already talked about Alexander Madison, but he was such – like a chalk play, such a lock play this week. This is the reason why people drafted him in their fantasy drafts was to have him as, as the running back insurance when Dalvin Cook went down. 26 yards on 10 carries, a long run of 16. So basically, if we do some math, nine carries for 10 yards besides that run. Anything left to say here? Or was it kind of gone before it even started? Again, down 30-7 to seven at one point, the Vikings were. Yeah, he had no chance unless he was going to be the dump-off guy. And we saw that at times. He did that at Boise State. He caught a lot of passes in college. We've seen him kind of pop up for like four grabs a game randomly. It just didn't happen here. And I I don't know how much of it was just the Vikings being down like three scores. I mean, this was devastating if you had him for DFS. This was, I think, the only way that he was going to 
like truly fail because I thought he was going to be able to get 15 carries in like 90% of the games. But this was like one of the 10% of the games where just game script got out of hand. Kirk Cousins throws first half interceptions and that's how it fails. So uh, the Vikings go into a bye week. Dalvin Cook returns. Alexander Madison basically has no standalone value for at least two weeks. He needs a Dalvin Cook injury again, which happens every single season, it seems like. But even then, he's not fully, uh, you can't fully trust him. I think I would still rank him as an RB1 if Dalvin Cook missed again. But this was just the the worst case scenario for him. The Baltimore Ravens improved to five and one, being the Philadelphia Eagles 30 to 28. Denny Carter had this game for us. Denny, when I tuned in early in the first half, I saw a 17 nothing lead for the Ravens. Thought it would be an easy day at the office against this bad Philly team. It did not end up that way at all. First, I want to talk about Lamar Jackson 16 to 27, 186. One touchdown, yet we did get vintage Lamar, if that's a thing. Nine carries, 108 yards, and one score. We'd all been hoping to see this playmaking LJAX for much of the season. Mm -hmm. Did we get a little taste of it today? Yeah, uh, you know, and the word vintage, I, I was actually going to use that in the blurb, and I decided uh, I decided not to for some reason. I don't know why. I've, I've been actually yelled at. I said, and this is a tangent, but that's fine with, with you, Yeah, Denny. sure, sure. Um, when Mike Williams went up for like a, a big contested catch, I called that a vintage Mike Williams catch. Yeah. And, you know, I don't get that much interaction on Twitter, yet I got about seven replies being like, oh, this is only his third year in the NFL. Like, it's still vintage. It's, it's what still, he's always done, right? That's that's exactly what he does. Also, he's been in the league for 17 years, and everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, back to Lamar. It was it was sort of that that Lamar that we remember from last year. The the one caveat I think would be that he rushed the ball nine times, which for his standards is not a ton. You know, he's uh so far this season. You know, through the first five weeks, he was averaging 8.2 rush attempts per game, which was a career low by a good margin. So you get up to nine, and that so that's it's not really a huge difference. You know, uh, you know something like a dozen, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there, I think would have been kind of more reassuring for for fantasy managers who who spent a first round or a second round pick on on Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, but he broke off the big run. You know, he mm-hmm. broke off the 35 ish yard run for a touchdown, and that. Uh, that made all the difference. You know, the Ravens passing a game is passing attack is not good right now. It's just, it's just not. Um, he, he looks, uh, Lamar Jackson looks kind of discombobulated back there. He has no time to throw. And I think that that's a big difference from last season was that we often, we just saw him kind of standing in the pocket for a long time, just, you know, waiting for a route develop to develop downfield. We don't see that anymore. And, and we definitely didn't see it today. The, the Eagles, Front seven was all over him, you know, throughout. Let's first talk about this backfield because it really was positive game script for for much of the game. Uh, if we subtract Lamar Jackson's nine carries from the team total of 37, then I believe that gets us 28 for J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and, mm-hmm. and Mark Ingram to share. Uh, Dobbins got nine, Gus Edwards 14, Mark Ingram five. I believe he left with an injury, but all of their rushing totals are basically the same, 28, 26, and 20. Yeah, Gus Edwards was the one with the touchdown. We're still not getting a clear-cut lead back, or or are we? Was there something that you could kind of pluck from this and, and that we can mm-hmm. carry with this moving forward? Yeah, two things. Uh, early in the game, it seemed like the Ravens really wanted to get Dobbins involved, uh, both in the screen game and 
uh, in the running game, it did, it just didn't work out. It, it it often feels forced when they when they do that. Hmm. And I've I've watched a few Ravens games from start to finish this year, and um, they they want him to be a thing, and I think especially in the screen game, they they just can't get get it going for whatever reason. And I don't think it really has anything to do with his ability. I think that you know that's that's uh, shouldn't be in question. Uh, the, the other takeaway with the backfield situation is that when Ingram was out with his foot or ankle injury, uh, Edwards operated as the, the main uh, rusher for the, for mm. the, you know, for the, the primary rusher for the Ravens. He had four, like you said, 14 carries. He, he got the rushing touchdown in the second half against the Eagles. So if Ingram misses time and, you know, I, I guess we won't know until practice reports start coming out this week. Um, I think, Edwards might be the kind of the floor safer type play than mm. Dobbins uh, while, while they're out because they, you know, n- no one is going to own that backfield. We think we, right. we've, we've seen that time and again. Um, but, but Edwards, Edwards role, I think is more reliable there. Hmm. Let's me ask about the passing game and then we'll move on over to the Eagles. Marquise Brown was the leading receiver, 57 yards on six targets, four receptions. I thought that this would be a Mark Andrews game because I went back mm-hmm. and looked at the stats from the Kyle Shanahan led 49ers, which was with Nick Mullins. We all know, and we also know that Lamar Jackson is better than Nick Mullins, but I think George Kittle put up like 150 yards and two scores. Yeah. I thought it'd be a tight end heavy day. And it might have been if Mark Andrews was the only tight end on the field, but Nick Boyle actually got more receptions, three more yards, 33 and that touchdown score. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Andrews four targets, two receptions and 21 yards. Boyle is slowly becoming an annoyance for yes. people, you know, people who <laughs> rostered Mark Andrews, you know, I, you know, watching this game, I, I saw the the touchdown that Boyle caught and I thought it was Andrews. And, you know, obviously you, you, he comes up from, from, from catching the ball and you're, Oh, it's, it's Boyle. And then later in the game, he catches a, like a 17 yard pass and you're, Oh, it's Boyle again. Uh, he, you know, Boyle had more targets in this game than, than Mark Andrews, I believe. Uh, and obviously the touchdown makes all the difference. Andrews is a guy you have to play because you're not going to find anybody even remotely close to, to that on the waiver wire in most leagues. Uh, but you're also going to have to deal with the fluctuations in, in scoring mm-hmm. because for him, just like for most tight ends in fantasy football um, it's touchdown or bust. And, and, and I think that Boyle's, uh, involvement, even though it's not much, I mean, no one, no one is starting Boyle, you know, in fantasy, but even though it's not much, I think Boyle, Boyle's, uh, uh, siphoning off just enough opportunity and just enough production to really become an issue for Andrews. So Baltimore Ravens, 2020 splitting backfield touches, splitting tight end yeah. opportunities. Uh, we don't like that. It's we don't a, like it's that. a, it's a bad fantasy team yeah. you know, if, if for, fan, for fantasy purposes. It's, it's hard that you, you have Lamar Jackson and that's it. <laughs> Next few games for the Ravens, Steelers, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Steelers again. So that's an interesting five-game stretch they have coming up. All right, Philadelphia side, zero points in the first half, 22 of 28 points in the fourth quarter. Carson Wentz's stat line looks abysmal, mm-hmm. 21 of 40, 213, Two touchdowns, took six sacks on the day, which we could kind of predict heading in to this game. Did have 49 rushing yards and a rushing score, which has been a major part of his fantasy scoring so far this season. Mm-hmm. What was the Carson Wentz experience here in week six? 
it's hard to imagine an offense looking worse than the Eagles did in the first half, uh, whether it was because of, you know, the effectiveness of the uh, Baltimore front seven, especially that just put a, a ton of pressure on him and stopped Miles Sanders in his tracks throughout the first half. Uh, I, I, and honestly, it was ugly in the second half too. It was, it was a lot of uh, off balance fadeaway throws, uh, you know, from Wentz to, you know, guys like Travis Fulgham and that, that it worked out. It, but it didn't look good, and it would, you know, I don't know if you can rely on those uh, those kind of passes going forward. Um, but Wentz saved his fantasy day. You know, if you happen to be in a position to start him, which I don't, I don't really know how you would or why you would. Um, but it, it's it's ugly. Like that that offense has a lot of a lot of issues, and they're not going to get any better because they suffered a lot of injuries on offense today. Um, on top of that, Miles Sanders had nine carries for 118 yards, a long run of 74. I believe he was like very close to the goal line, fumbled it into the end zone, and that's how J.J. Ortega-Whiteside scored his touchdown. That's um, on top of that, I want to ask about Travis Fulgham because he was a popular pickup heading into this week. Ten targets, six receptions, 75 yards, and a score. We know that Deshaun Jackson is on track to hopefully play in their next game. But it kind of seems like Fulgham has been their most consistent wide receiver, at least over the course of the last three games. And that's something that this team has been missing the entire season. Fulgham is, you know, I don't want to say a must play, but pretty close to it. You know, I think going forward, it's hard to say what will happen with Alshon, with with uh, Deshaun Jackson, with others. Uh, eventually, Jalen Rager, I suppose, is going to come back. So I, I don't I don't know how much that will affect uh, Travis Fulgham, but uh, Carson Wentz clearly has a lot of trust in him, and I know that's not really quantifiable for fantasy purposes, but he uh, he will basically throw up jump balls for Fulgham if he has one on one coverage anywhere on the field, and that's how he scored his touchdown today. It was just it was just a jump ball. He almost came down with a hail mary at the end of the first half. It was it was this close, you know, to to being six there, uh, and it just it just seems like he is like the clear cut uh, top receiver for the Eagles. Uh, I, I would be surprised if guys getting healthy uh, change that a whole lot going forward. The Miami Dolphins improved to five hundred, going three and three, winning twenty four to nothing against the lowly. And I mean lowly. What is below low, Lauren Carpenter? Because that is the New York Jets putting up zero points on the board today. Let's start off with the Miami Dolphins, though. 18 of 27 for Ryan Fitzpatrick, 191 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. From the stat line, this appears to be the full Ryan Fitzpatrick experience. Did Is that how it played out on the television set as well? It was. They there was a with those two interceptions, there was a little bit less of the of the magic here. Uh the box score definitely does just let you know what happened during this game. I mean, this was this was a clinic that the Dolphins put on. What was really great about what Ryan Fitzpatrick did, though, is he targeted a ton of different pass catchers, which I thought was really great, but not so much for those of us who uh, started Mike Kosicki. I'm sorry. There were two other tight ends, very obscure, uh, Durham Smythe. Mm-hmm. And um, who was the other one? Oh, yeah. He scored Adam a touchdown Shaheen. last week to Adam Shaheen. So there's two touchdowns now to Adam Shaheen. So that's, that's a little disappointing. But he was spreading the ball all around. He's looking like he has is having the time of his life, which is pretty awesome. But really, the standing ovation in this came at the very end of the game 
when Tua got a chance to take a couple of snaps in the couple of snaps in it. But yeah, he looks he looks magical. He looks like he's having the time of his life. So he should be rostered, in in my opinion. He should be rostered. I think he's one of those quarterbacks that can get it done. Yeah. You know, this is another one of those games and we kind of predicted it heading in. It makes Ryan Fitzpatrick look like a, I don't know, top 16 starter in the NFL. But then we've seen other games where that is absolutely not the case. You mentioned Adam Shaheen. He was actually the team's leading receiver with 51 yards on three catches, a long of 43. And he had that score, you know, in a game like this where the Dolphins are favored, where they put up 24 points when they win by a massive amount. We hope players like Miles Gaskin, who did have 91 yards and 18 carries, and Devontae Parker, 35 yards, Preston Williams, 18 yards and a score. But typically, those are the type of players we, we think are in a blow-up spot here. Why didn't it happen? Was it just that the Jets were that dominated? The Dolphins really never had to put the pedal to the floor and even have any semblance of an offense? You know, I think you I think you kind of nailed, you know, nailed it right on the head right there. It was um it just it was it was weird. It was it was spread all around. And just going on to the, the Jet side here, real quick, just to touch mm-hmm. on this, they could not get anything going on offense. So it was almost like they were scrimmaging in their backyard against the Jets. So it wasn't Miles Gaskin did you heard his name all the time. In the first quarter, he they just put the entire entire game on his shoulders and he rushed five times for 40 yards and then he got all the way down to the red zone but no it was someone else who goes and gets the touchdown instead of him so that, that was kind of stinky but yeah it, it was just this it was kind of an experimentation uh there were a couple of incompletes that didn't look very pretty like I said the interceptions really weren't there too but I mean it, it was just just an odd game and like you said we knew that this was not going to be one of those games where we're going to be biting our fingernails wondering what's going to happen this was right. almost a story that wrote itself but not this bad not this bad at all so that that was eh. let's uh let's take a look at that compared to the jets yeah um, (laughs) of them um okay joe flacco 21 of 44 186 yards one interception frank gore got 46 yards hey even ty johnson came in had a long run of 34 yards 42 yards on the ground brashad perryman seems like finally made his nfl debut with the jets 62 yards Jamison Crowder continues to haul in at least seven catches. He took it for 48 yards and 13 targets today. Anything you want to wrap up in a nice little package so other people don't have to go back and watch Game Pass this week to check out this Jets offense? Yeah, okay. So the box score that you're seeing, uh, those final stats – those are entirely skewed. And most of those came in the second half. And actually, they came in the fourth quarter. So Mm. this was just ugly for the first half. And let me just read to you just a few little stats here that they had. So they only had 71 yards that they meaning the jets had 71 yards of offense in the first half. And they were down 21 to nothing. They had six, three and outs in the first half. And they had a late interception in the first half that you're thinking, oh, maybe they'll do something. No, led to nothing. They were 0-10 on third down. And in fact, their first third down conversion came in the fourth quarter. That's how bad it was. And there was a couple of runs where Joe Flacco got things going and he targeted, like you said, Rashad Perryman. He got to Jamison Crowder. You know, LaMarco Pirine didn't really do much. Frank Gore was the one, the ageless one that we we know and love. I mean, he was the one that shined. And yet nothing could go right for the Jets. They even missed a field goal. It was depressing. And how how much longer are poor Jets fans going to have to sit there and watch Adam Gase continue to be their head coach? Yeah, I mean, at this point, 24 hours from now, for people listening or, or watching the show, if Adam Gase is still the head coach of this team, then, I mean, maybe this is just jumping to major conclusions. But the ownership simply does not want to win. I mean, it really goes from the top down in terms of team success. And I know the ownership handpicked Adam Gase, but it's clearly not working. And we've seen other coaches like Raheem Morris and uh, Romer Cornell have fantastic debuts. 
in their first Sundays as head coaches. And maybe that can be the case with the Jets. What is awful for them, Lauren, is I'm looking at their schedule right now. I mean, they face the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Patriots in their next three games. Yeah, no. I, mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. see any chances of this no. team not starting 0-9 to begin 2020. And it doesn't matter who their quarterback is at this point. This is really a fundamental issues that uh, we had. We talked about with with the Browns. You know, this is this is this fundamental for the Jets, and it's not good. That's why every skill player wants to get out, and that's that's depressing. Not only for a Jets fan, but for those players that have to show up every day. I mean, Frank Gore was busting his tail even when they were down down the whole game. What am I even saying? They were shut out, but he still played with his heart on his sleeve. And it's just a shame that all of that hard work has to go to getting shut out, which is, which is, you know, it's, it's terrible, but I, I will be shocked if, if um, Adam Gase continues to be the head coach and you're absolutely right. That is going to be a, a serious all the way up to the top issue. If he continues to, to be their coach. The Indianapolis Colts improved to four and two beating the Cincinnati Bengals 31 to 27. John Daigle covered this game for us. Dago, Philip Rivers' stat line looks like one of the best of his season so far. 29 of 44, 371, three touchdowns, one interception. It's been a very mixed bag from Rivers this year. Does the box score indicate that this was a good performance? Rivers was very good, but as he typically does, as Vintage Rivers does, the Colts were up 28-27 at one point, driving the field, and he decided to launch the ball into double coverage to T.Y. Hilton downfield for a late interception. Fortunately, with 12 minutes remaining, that didn't come back to haunt him, but I would say that was the only mistake. Otherwise, his throws were on point. A 17-yard throw to Zach Pascal for a touchdown before the half, a 14-yard back shoulder throw in the end zone to Jack Doyle, hitting Marcus Johnson, who is arguably, we'll talk about this in depth in a second, the most mm-hmm. explosive receiver on this roster for two 20-yard catches today. Uh, Rivers admittedly looked terrific, which is great considering we are two weeks removed from all beat reporters and everyone calling for his head for his poor play. I think that Red Zone kept indicating this that there's been at least a 16-point, um, not upset, but comeback win from every from a team every single week of the season, and this week it was the Indianapolis Colts. So Rivers in negative game script, having one of his better performances, I think is a great sign for the Colts moving forward. Let's talk about those wide receivers, because one, I have a T.Y. Hilton problem. I cannot quit him. He only had five targets, one catch for 11 yards. I know he also had a touchdown taken away. Still sour about that. Talk to, talk to me about Marcus Johnson. Eight targets, five receptions, 108 yards, clearly the lead receiver on this team today. Marcus Johnson wasn't activated for this team until week four when Paris Campbell went permanently down. But in that span, he has 12 targets quietly, nine catches for 188 yards. Uh, whereas T.Y. Hilton, in six games with Phillip Rivers this year, has 37 targets, 20 catches, and 240 yards. So Johnson is basically outpacing him in half the games he's played. In a day where Phillip Rivers threw for a season-high 371 yards, T.Y. Elton had a single catch for 11 yards. It is inexplicable. 
It is unaccept. <laughs> it is unacceptable. And as someone who also rosters T.Y. Hilton, I, I'm being serious. How can you not rank him as a wide receiver four and just bench him moving forward? Because th- there are players coming off the bench and being explosive. Zach Pascal, as we mentioned today, uh, Marcus Johnson, for instance, weekly. Marcus Johnson had a 55 yard catch last week. This dude just shows up and plays like Khalif Raymond almost for the Titans. And yet T.Y. Hilton is struggling. You can only make so many excuses before it just becomes the rapport and just the lack of player that he is at this stage of his career before you have to bail in fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah. Can he just simply not move like he used to? Because we used to think that T.Y. was one of those better vertical burners in the NFL. Not asking necessarily to do that, just when short to intermediate. And that's not happening either. Even Trey Burton had a massive game. Five targets, four receptions, 58 yards and a score. Mm-hmm. Jack Doyle found the end zone with a very impressive touchdown grab. Zach Pascal, like you mentioned, found the end zone. And then Jonathan Taylor really dominated all of the backfield work. 12 of the total 15 carries, 60 yards, and then also got going something we've been asking for him in the passing game, four catches for 55 yards as well. So a lot to unpack with Jonathan Taylor because yep. I know it doesn't look that great on the surface, but first of all, remember the Colts were down 21-0 in the second quarter, so they couldn't run the ball anyways. And then let's go peel the onion layers back a tad more, and Taylor actually had 12 of the team's 13 carries. He had 16 other 22 backfield touches, which is a season-high 72% backfield touch rate. One week after he set a season-high 70% backfield touch rate. So it's like they are actually getting him involved more these past two weeks. And now they're going on by and they're going to come back against the Lions, I believe, unless the schedule is odd and I'm not getting it right. But either way, if they go on by, they're coming back with Jonathan Taylor having touched the ball in over 70 percent of their plays the past two games among all their running backs. So I think we are still trending in the right direction for Taylor. Just nothing is added up yet, whether it's game script, whether it's Naheem High still being sporadically involved in the passing game. But that's really all it is now. It's only Hines in the passing game. Jordan Wilkins is phased out the past two weeks this is taylor's backfield you just still need the stars to align i would think it does in week eight when they come back talk to me about the Bengals. how did they create that 21 to nothing lead joe burrow 25 of 39 313 no scores one interception joe mixon had 54 yards on the ground in a score Gio bernard 50 15 yards in a score on the ground burrow did help with a rushing score but i look at this i mean it was aj green's best game by a mile 11 targets, eight receptions, 96 yards. And T. Higgins probably had his best game as well. Eight targets, six receptions, and 125 yards. So Jack Doyle in the Colts' first possession fumbles a screen at the line of scrimmage. Jack Doyle, by the way, who has now been out-targeted by Trey Burton 16-6 to the past three games. There is one tight end to play there, and it mm-hmm. is not Mo Cox or Jack Doyle. Uh, having said that, fumbled. Bengals get the ball. They march down the field with ease, essentially, for their first three possessions, uh, including a Joe Burrow run inside the five. We also had a Gio Bernard coming in on third down inside the five-yard line and running it in. And then, of course, Joe Mixon also, who left for a short period. So the touches among this backfield, don't be too concerned with them. Uh, Joe Mixon essentially missed half of the second quarter, came back out in the second half and finished the game with a foot injury. But in that span, Gio Bernard touchdown, Joe Mixon also a touchdown before he left. That's kind of how they built their three-score lead, was just not getting stopped. Of course, the Colts still came roaring back in the second half. But as you mentioned, T. Higgins, it's essentially a passing of the torch as the team's downfield threat. A season-high 125 receiving yards, a big 67-yard catch in this game, also another 20-yard catch later on in the fourth quarter, not to mention mixing it up in the intermediate level of the field. So 
I was happy to see him being used that way. Whereas AJ Green, who we've been concerned about, eight, eight catches, season high, 96 yards. Important to note, they actually used him on a lot of slants. It was a ton of chain moving here. And he actually dropped a big 50-yard catch that was slightly underthrown by Joe Burrow, and it was a tough catch, but old A.J. Green would have caught it. But for right now, using him this way, just allowing his lengthy frame to uh, box out linebackers and use his catch radius, that's the way he should be used. He should not be asked to separate downfield at this stage of his career. So I think this is a plus for A.J. Green, actually. Moving on over to the Buccaneers and Green Bay Packers. I mean, Buccaneers absolutely dominated this game. Ended up winning 38 to 10. I'm trying to pull up what the odds were. Dago, it was just a three-point spread in favor of the Packers heading into this one. Nowhere close to that. Um, Tom Brady, 17 of 27, 166 and two touchdowns. I'm not going to say he wasn't the most important factor, but man, this Bucks defense really showed what they can do against an offense in the Packers that has won every which way earlier this season. David Bakhtiari, stud left tackle, of course, got lost in the second quarter, did not return for the rest of the game. Having said that, this was still Tampa Bay's defensive day. They single-handedly won this game for the Bucks. Six sacks, six pass breakups, and a pick six. Absolutely dominated Aaron Rodgers. The Packers opened the game with nine first down on their first two possessions and had only three the rest of the game. Just utter domination from the Bucks overall. Uh, and that's why all the box scores are messed up because Aaron Rodgers and Tom <laughs> Brady were benched with six minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. Ooh. Ronald Jones had a fantastic day. Yeah. Back-to-back ones from him. 23 carries, 113 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, Leonard Fournette was questionable. I bet he continues to be questionable, and even when he plays, because Ronald Jones is just playing so well. And look who made his first dominant appearance of 2020 Rob Gronkowski eight targets five receptions 78 yards and a score including a toe tapper along the sideline I mean Brady and the Bucks were like just missing and miscommunicating earlier in the year we know there were multiple injuries to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin but back here almost at full force Daigle this is a dang good football team that the Bucks have So let's rewind a little bit to Ronald Jones because it's actually back-to-back-to-back. This is his third consecutive 100-yard game, of course, with Fournette basically inactive. Two weeks ago, he came back, but he didn't play a single snap for them. Uh, Ronald Jones now has 71 of the team's 90 backfield touches the past three games. They're not going anywhere else. You look up and you see Keyshawn Vaughn on five carries. Four of those carries came on the final drive with Blaine Gabber, who who didn't attempt to pass. So it's literally nothing. This is Ronald Jones' backfield as a usage-based RB2 until Leonard Fournette comes back. And even then, we can probably have confidence at least a couple games until Fournette is fully healthy. To Gronk, though, yes, it was a classic performance. Uh, Bodying linebackers didn't look fast of course but he actually looked dominant with his hands whereas it seemed like he's been a bit sluggish the past month and now since they lost to oj howard uh gronk actually has at least six targets in three of his past four games so the usage is there it's almost like it happened and coincided with his one press conference he came out and said no i'm a blocker like that's why i came to tampa bay and in that time he's been getting more targets oddly enough but 
after last week when they used Cameron Brait to take over for Tanner Hudson, the fact is those two, those two guys went away and this solely became Gronk's position both in line and in the slot. So that, as we know, we complain about the tight end landscape every single week. This yeah. makes Gronk a high-end tight end two or touchdown-based tight end one moving forward. Aaron Rodgers had been practically perfect this season prior to this game. Mm-hmm. And this one, he was far from it. 16 of 35, 160. Two interceptions, including a pick six to Jamal Dean, which kind of turned the tide of this game a little bit. I think the Packers were up 10 to nothing early on. Um, I mean, no one did anything in the running game. Jamal Williams was the lead ball carrier with 34 yards. A.J. Dillon, 31 yards in garbage time. Aaron Jones had been near perfect, just like Aaron Rodgers. Just 15 yards and a plunge-in score for him. What went wrong for the Packers offensively? It was more about the offensive line, honestly. It was more about – it wasn't even like missing Alan Lazard. It was just about couldn't run the ball, even though Vita Vey wasn't around, which I was surprised with. I thought Aaron Jones would have a better day as opposed to you know 15 yards, 10 carries. That's that's crazy. And then after that, like I said, just absolutely suffocated. Uh, Bakhtiari's injury was a very impactful loss. Then again, having said all this, DFS players will do this. We do this every single week. You're just going to wipe it off your memory because they play the Texans next week. So the Packers are about to get right. I would not worry about it. Robert Tanyan left for a short stint in the second quarter, was able to come back in the second half. But I am still on record of being concerned about his target share with Devontae Adams, who had 10 targets, who looked healthy. Uh, Tanyan really sticking around since they're still throwing the ball deep to MVS, had a couple deep shots mixed into his shallow targets. And Aaron Jones, who's still clearly involved in this game. Before we move on, though, um, I think we also have to talk about the receivers. I'm sure you're about to transition there. But Mike Evans, like, uh, we, I mean, we got to do something. This is three games for Chris Godwin now, and he has a 9.9% target share in those three games. And he has a 22% target share in the three games without Chris Godwin. He has six touchdowns on 37 targets, which he clearly can't sustain. So it we can attribute some of it to Jair Alexander being great, yes, but also it's just Mike Evans being a touchdown or bust player in this offense and not really getting any other targets besides those volatile and, of course, useful targets. But when they're not useful, also it goes very bad for you. So I, I don't know if what you're thinking, maybe it's a sell high moment. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and maybe someone just sees it and be like, oh, it's only one bad game. Let me take advantage of the player who's actually trying to take advantage of the player trying to buy Mike Evans. So it, it's just everyone has to look at their roster and decide what they want to do with Mike Evans moving forward. I mean, it's just shocking. Six straight seasons, Mike Evans has had at least 1,000 receiving yards, and he only has 271 through five games this year and that actually hasn't been added to this performance that he just had i mean it would be a shock if he gets there this year and it's just amazing because arguably from a win-loss perspective it's the best quarterback he's ever going to have um but it's just the type of offense that they're running that i'm surprised it doesn't align but just doesn't seem to align right now but Again, from that win-loss perspective, I'm not sure how much they're going to change it because he's scoring touchdowns in in important situations. But from our perspective, it's just not happening. It's not happening how we want it to, especially spending you know a second or third round pick like many people did uh, this offseason. The New York Giants get their first win of the season, beating the Washington football team 20-19. Kyle Dvorak had this game for us. Um, I'm not sure if you can get too drastically more different performances than Daniel Jones versus Kyle Allen. Kyle, Daniel Jones, 12 of 19, 
112 yards, a touchdown, and an interception to go along with a random 49-yard run. Meanwhile, Kyle Allen was forced to throw the football 42 times, 280 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, first to Daniel Jones. It's been a lot of down this year. How was it today in a win? It was fine, but I think like the numbers kind of reveal that they didn't have to ask him to do much. So maybe this just isn't a game that we can use to really learn too much from it's just, uh, you know, if he's going to throw less than 20 times, what can you really call it? It was fine. His throw to Darius Slayton. Slayton was wide open, but the good quarterbacks hit the wide open players. It was a nice score. His running was actually impressive. I mean, we've known that about him, but that 49-yard run, that was not a fluke. Like, it was it was a beautiful run from him where he uses his speed, gets past defenders. And there was another one that I believe was around about nine yards that took them down to the one. It was this really cheeky, like, design draw, spread the defense out, and then just run Daniel Jones up the middle they didn't go for it though, which is kind of disappointing when you have Daniel Jones, who I would imagine with his size, with his athleticism, probably a good goal line quarterback, but uh, yeah, he threw fine. I think uh, not much to learn, although his athleticism <laughs> fully on display. Cheeky is a term need to be used more often in American football, English yeah, football. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, anytime we can plug those terms into our analysis, Kyle, I'm right there with you. Uh, Darius Slayton, one touchdown. 41 yards. 41 yards was enough to be a leading receiver. Evan Ingram, just 30 yards. Uh, I, I guess maybe other than Daniel Jones, the player that contributed most this win, Devontae Freeman had 61 yards of his own. How did Devontae Freeman look in just like his third performance here with the Giants? Yeah, he looked fine. I would say that's probably apt to describe a lot or some aspects of the Giants is they were certainly fine. But I think the more important thing is that what it was 18 carries and I think they had one other running back carry on the team. That is an incredible market share number. Isn't that right? It's just uh, yep. was it Dion Lewis got one carry and Dion Lewis only got a target as well. And I don't think Wayne Gullman showed up in the box score at all, if I remember that correctly. Nope. So it wasn't like a touchdown. It wasn't five catches or whatever. But the market share numbers are impressive. He's like a a very quiet pseudo bell cow back. If he doesn't find the end zone, maybe it's not a great day, but you can rely on him just as much as you can rely on like Kenyon Drake. If we want to pick on someone. So yeah, it's not bad. I don't think you're going to have a ton of upside as with most of the giants, because well, I think they've topped 20 points in one game. And of course that was first Dallas. So you could even argue there's an asterisk next to that. But if you're going to get 80% of the backfield carries, he's kind of like a, a flex worthy player at this point. One more question on the Giants. We have seen this Washington defensive line wreck some offensive lines. And I know that the Giants benched, you know, top 10 pick Andrew Thomas in this one at left tackle. Another rookie in Matt Pert got the start. I mean, only one sack here for Daniel Jones. No lost fumbles. I mean, that must have been a win on the Giants end, which to me was unexpected with Washington. Yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of streaming Washington defense because I thought the matchup was right. so good. And yeah, and not only, I mean, I have no clue, frankly, what's going on with the, the tackle position because Thomas did not start and he ended up making the field shortly after. And I don't think Perd got hurt. It was just um, playing, you know, the classic left tackle by rotation, which is, uh, I guess, classic. a thing they're, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a thing they're trying to invent. But regardless of how they managed to protect Daniel Jones, they did it. They protected him well. Their run blocking looked good. They opened up some serious holes. There was a few, you know, chunk yardage plays by Devonta Freeman and obviously the big chunks by Daniel Jones. So despite the difficult matchup and the rotation at tackle, they made it work. It looked good, which was surprising and impressive and maybe a sign to have a small modicum of optimism going forward with these Giants. All right. 
On Washington's end, we saw Cal Allen make his first start of the year last week. He quickly exited, um, instantly got his starting job back. And again, they put a lot on his plate here. 31 of 42, 282 touchdowns, one interception. Um, I guess Terry McLaurin was the biggest beneficiary. I mean, a massive target share, 12 targets, seven receptions, 74 yards, which is an overall positive, even though the, the yardage totals might not have been there. Yeah, so I think Terry McLaurin is just at this point such an alpha receiver in terms of the air yard share, the target share, that if you throw to him 12 times in a game, even if it's Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, whomever they try and trot out there, if you're throwing to him double-digit times in a game, he's going to come down with one or two 20-plus yard plays, 15-plus yard plays. So it's like, although the efficiency may not be great, I'm sure uh, he would love to have a guy like you know Josh Allen, maybe even Daniel Jones, as his quarterback. But the market share numbers he's getting are good enough that it doesn't really matter if his passes are inaccurate. A few bring downs is all he needs to have a good, not great day. Of course, I do think this this really hamstrings his ceiling, which is disappointing because he is so talented at such a young age and such a, I would say, relatively unassuming prospect. Obviously not like a first round pick or anything. He has absolutely wowed me as a guy. Maybe I'm just so impressed because I wasn't yeah. really high on him. Like he wasn't the... Uh, me being more analytics focused, he, he wasn't popping in models, as they would say. And uh, he's played so incredibly well, despite uh, the worst of situations. So, yeah, you got to rely on him as like a steady wide receiver, too. And if somehow Kyle Allen has a good game, that absolutely means he's going to crush on those weeks. I don't know when that'll happen, but it will right. happen at some point, And we're going to have a Terry McLaurin blow up spot. I don't know when. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. So J.D. McKissick, 14 touches. Antonio Gibson. 13 touches in a game where Washington was operating in a lot of negative game script in a game where the quarterback threw the ball 42 times. That is not the outcome we probably hope for. No, it is not the outcome we'd hope for. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. It's just so disappointing how they've not used Antonio Gibson. I mean, he's not, it's not like he's getting unused. I think you could probably have said that up until today about someone like DeAndre Swift. He's getting used, but I'm just not entirely sure what JD McKissick brings to the table that Gibson doesn't. I mean, when you look at Gibson's college numbers, like the yards per carry, the yards per reception are mind boggling. You know, if you look at him as a running back who can play receiver, mind boggling, a converted receiver who maybe plays running back, incredible. And he's just playing a rotational role, a, a 1A, 1B, depending on the game script, depending on the week. And I get that Jaden McKissick is probably an above average pass catcher, but I don't think he's a player. And I he's not a player you want to use as a between the tackles player. Gibson has that upside. And on a team that for all intents and purposes is probably facing a lost season. Why wouldn't yeah. you want to get Gibson the ball more? Let's close with Logan Thomas. Yes. Because Logan Thomas is back in our lives. And I thought that Kyle Allen would unlock this a little bit. Like he used, you know, Ian Thomas and, and Greg Olson last year in, in Carolina. I mean, it was only on four targets. It's not yeah. like Logan Thomas hasn't received targets this year. He just hasn't turned in production. Well, he did today, three receptions, 42 yards, and a score. Yeah, so I agree that I thought maybe Kyle Allen could potentially lean on him more, and the touchdown was nice. It is very good for all the times I have been betting on Logan Thomas, and he keeps letting me down. But in back-to-back-to-back games, it's four targets, four targets, four targets. His target totals have come down since the beginning of the year, and then you adjust that for the amount of times Kyle Allen threw the football. Four targets is nothing relative to what he threw. It's less than, I think it's 42 attempts, so it's less than a 10% target share. Yes, this was a great outcome for Logan Thomas, 
but I think maybe it's time to, if there is a possible way to say you could sell high on Logan Thomas, you're going up from a zero in Logan Thomas to a, a one or a two. If you put it on a out of 10 scale, I guess this is a sell high because four targets just isn't going to cut it. And Kyle Allen passes. And we'll close it out with the Chicago Bears improving to five and one, toppling the Carolina Panthers 23 to 16. Look, the Bears don't make any sense. I mean, even in this game on their first drive, it was inside the five yard line coming out of a timeout, and the Bears took a delay of game, pushing them to the nine yard line. And it's a situation where you can't have an unforced error like that, yet Nick Foles was able to thread this touchdown to Cole Komet, the rookie second rounder, his first as an NFL player. And that just propelled them throughout the entire game. I mean, Foles was asked to throw the ball 39 times today, but only reached 198 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. And Dave Montgomery, again, is just all about volume. 19 carries, 58 yards. Did have 39 receiving yards on five targets. And then Allen Robinson led this team with 53 yards on nine targets. But Darnell Mooney is now the you know number two receiver on the outside. And in a game like this, when there is extreme positive game script like the Bears had from start to finish, they're just not going to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. So Anthony Miller simply is not going to be involved. Just three targets, three receptions for eight yards. Um, I mean, it was the Bears defense that really was the story. Uh, and Teddy Bridgewater started the game poorly with an interception on the first drive and ended the game with an interception as well. I mean, th- there were some nice plays in between there, but the Bears defense got a ton of pressure on Bridgewater, forced him to scramble eight times, and he was able to create 48 yards on it. Like Teddy having this rushing floor this year is really something that is shocking to me, but in the air, A player we expect to be an accurate passer was not 16 of 29, 216 for two interceptions, and then also took four sacks on the day. It was an up and down start for DJ Moore, too. He was super involved early on, then had a handful of drops throughout the game and was wide open on this fourth and two conversion on an outside breaking route. And again, Bridgewater just missed him on a pivotal play in this game. But DJ Moore did lead the team in targets with 11 receptions and five and totaled 93 yards off of it. And Robbie Anderson lacked that volume-based approach that we've seen in the short to intermediate areas earlier on this season. Five targets, four receptions for 77 yards. In fact, his big play was a 39-yard leaping grab along the sideline. Um, Kind of showed off that vertical ability that we've seen with previous teams. And we expect this to be a big Mike Davis game. I mean, every game has been a big Mike Davis game since he's taken over Christian McCaffrey. Only was able to take 18 carries for 52 yards and a score. Mike Davis trained passing by, but it was his lowest uh, opportunity, let's put it that way, in the passing game. Just three targets for two receptions and three yards in total. And the biggest thing was the Panthers had multiple, multiple occasions and opportunities inside the five yard line in goal to goal situations, and they couldn't convert. They settled for field goals. I mean, there were at least two or three of those of just settling for field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, which was a difference in a seven point game. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for checking out this show. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday for the 20 minute waiver podcast. 
Wednesday evening, Denny, Pat, and myself. And then Thursday evening for the game by game preview show. And if you haven't joined us yet for Roto Road Live on noon Eastern on Sundays, served by Applebee's, help you set your optimal lineups with plenty of start sit questions for 45 minutes leading up until kickoff again. That is Roto Road Live, served by Applebee's. And if you want that little help, to carry you on and to help you propel you to that number one seed in the playoffs. And if some of you have your eye on that, go on over to rotoworld.com slash edge. Again, rotoworld.com slash edge and use promo code FBPOD10. So for all the blurbers, for all the guests, I am Josh Norris up the villa, the mighty villa boys from Aston. Talk to you soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keep for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.